If you're taking notes, this is Oakland Woods. Our plot today is this. Oakland Woods is a church whose future is in God's plan. Whose future is God's plan. We've got great big goals we want to achieve next year. We want to be part of planting churches and investing in young preachers coming up and, and helping them out. We've got plans for the future of hoping that one of our young men, one of our bus kids, one of our kids, maybe even you right here is eventually going to rise up and you'll be a pastor and we'll send you out as a church. And we've got big goals about building other churches. We've got a problem in our church because uh, Awana, Awana by, is led by George, so right there there's a problem. Uh, but Awana uh, has a problem because they started with 40, and I thought, okay, that was way too many kids. And then they brought 43, and I thought, okay, somebody's high. What are we doing with 43 kids here? That's way too many. But we'll dip back down, and then we went up last week, they had 49 kids. Yeah. Wow. 49 of these kids and stuff like that. And I thought, oh my Lord, I'm so glad about Awana. But you should join. You should be part of it. Um, but you know, we, we've got a problem that the students' ministry is growing and the water, and it's just like we're running out of space. And so this year we're going to try to build sort of, next year we're going to try to build sort of a multi-purpose thing because it has multiple purposes for multiple souls. That sounds pretty good. Somebody write that down. That is really good. Danny, write that down. Multiple purpose for multiple souls. Write it down. But listen. Look, but what we want to be is future-oriented future-oriented about what God's going to do in the future in this church, what God's going to do in the future. We've got a good past. There's been some great men that have stood here. There's been some great ladies in, in this church. There's been some great founders, some people that have sacrificed for this past. We have a great past. Say amen. amen. We do. There's some great people. And it's amazing that that includes Danny Holloway. But anyway, you take what you can get sometimes. But I don't want our future to be what Pastor Steve wants or things, or what the elders think or want. I want our future to be what God wants. Now, Pastor Steve's a little sarcastic, so this next point is, it's sarcastic, okay? So this is a deep thought, all right? This is a deep truth. And there's the deep truth. This is sarcastically said, and it's this. Only God knows the future. Duh. You can almost write duh right by it. Duh. Only God knows the future. So if that's true, then I want my future to be his plan for my future. You see, my best future will be the future that God wants for me, not what I want. We're going to be looking at the book of Philemon today. Go to Hebrews and come back and look. It is one chapter. It's one single letter. And it's an amazing book because the book of Philemon is written to a man named Philemon. This book epitomizes the fact that no one knows the future. Your future isn't sealed. Your eternal destiny doesn't have to be. Young people, this is a great thing about Philemon. You may have screwed up 10 years of your life. You may have screwed up 5 years of your life. You may have screwed up 5 months of your life. But the book of Philemon tells us that your future is not determined by you. It can be determined by God. And you can correct some of those mistakes. Amen. It is an amazing letter that Paul is writing to a man by the name of Philemon. Now Philemon, who he is? Philemon is a very wealthy man in the city of Colossae. That's Colossians is written to him. And Colossae. In fact, he's wealthy. He's, the pet, he's one of the leaders of the church there. In fact, the church met at his home. So this is like a huge, an elder of the church, a pillar of the community, a wealthy man. Well, he had a young man who was a slave. Now let me stop there for a moment. I'm not talking... 1854 South slave, okay? That is not what it meant. As a slave in this time, you were sort of, you owed this person money, and to pay that off, you worked for them as a servant, and you didn't have to, 
See, some of it, does that sound familiar? Because in this room, there's, there's quite a few slaves. You're just, it's called visa, right? House payment that you can't afford and stuff. Some of them, there's, there's, there's quite a few of your slaves right now. So this young man, his name is Onesimus. And he had, he owed Philemon money, however that happened. Maybe it was a family thing and he grew up there. We don't really know how it all happens. But he's a young man, a servant of Philemon. And he gets tired of this Christianity. He gets tired of this God stuff. And he's like 16, 17, 18, right? Your old guy. And everybody knows that no one's smarter on the planet than a 16-year-old boy. They know everything. Fathers are morons. They know everything, right? I know that very Everybody, and so he gets, I'm tired of, of Philemon and the rules, I'm tired of working for him, I'm tired of this Jesus stuff being forced out of my throat. So what he does, he steals something from uh, Philemon. We don't know what it is, it was wealthy. So he steals it, and he runs off to Rome. I mean, the Las Vegas of the day. The drugs, alcohol, sex, drugs, women, everything. And he runs off, he pawns whatever he has and stuff, and he lives off that for a while, but eventually he runs out of money. And he does something that ends him up in jail. And there he is in jail. He had run away from this Christian stuff. He had run away from Philemon. And his life had brought him here. By the way, what a great lesson. Young people, anyone in here, your plan will put you in a prison in a jail cell. It may not be like Oakland County Jail, but you will find yourself bound and you will find yourself in a prison cell of addiction, of codependent relationships, of a whole bunch of nonsense. You run from God and you will end up in a jail cell. But here's Philemon, nothing to do with Jesus, right? Nothing to do with Christians. And he's in a jail cell, and he looks over to the guy he's chained up next to, and it's the Apostle Paul. Not only is the Apostle Paul the greatest Christian ever, he's like super Jesus free, but then he finds out that the Apostle Paul is the guy who led Philemon to Christ, who mentored and discipled Philemon. And there he is, chained up. Now, another great truth here. Mark this down in your Bible. Mark it down in your notes. There's this. There are no coincidences with God. God is in control. He's providence. He's, he's sovereign. He is in complete and total control. You are here for a reason. You may have, listen, it was rainy, it was cold, and, and, and the bed monster wanted to keep you in bed, right? There's a great reason to skip church and not be here. And you're thinking, ah, oh, it's kind of cold and everything. Pastor Steve has his cold and he'll probably preach high and everything. So why do I want to go and be part of it? You know, there's so many better things we could do. It's just, but you are here for a reason because God wants to tell you something today. Some of you, you're like, I'm on the right path. So you know what God wants to do? He wants to encourage you. Especially if you're 18. Especially if you're 26. He wants to encourage you. Stay on the right path. And maybe you're here and you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior. God brought you here for a reason. And maybe it's here to hear this old-fashioned Baptist preacher tell you that God loves you. And he said his son to die on the cross for you. And you need to accept Jesus as your personal Savior. Because nothing will secure your eternal future more than knowing Christ as your personal Savior. Amen. So what happens? Well, you know what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen. It's Paul. He's not going to just sit there and be quiet. Paul starts talking to Onesimus about Jesus. You know, you know at one point Onesimus had to put his hands in his I can't I go to prison and I'm right by one of them. And he probably said, you know, is there a guy named Philemon? He said, I've had people say that to me. Did my mom send you? I'm like, no, the Holy Spirit did. Your mom and the Holy Spirit are just good friends. And uh, 
And he probably said, you know, there's this Jesus freak I know in Colossae called it. I have friends in Colossae. And he probably thought, well, his name's Philemon. I led Philemon to Jesus. And you know, this is like, I just can't believe it. Listen, if you're here and you're running from God, and there's a little old lady praying for you, here's the thing I've learned about little old ladies. Little old ladies will shut up, so you might as well give up. Amen. They're going to keep going to Jesus, and you're going to find yourself chained up to the Apostle Paul. You might as well give up now and bypass the whole prison thing and just find Jesus now. Amen. If you're a little old lady, say amen. You know who you are. Be proud of you. You're not old. You're just recycled. Uh, Onesimus gets saved. Not only does he get saved, the Apostle Paul disciples him. And his jail time is up, and Paul says, you got to go back to Philemon. So Onesimus is walking with another guy by the name of Tithicus. He's throughout the New Testament a lot. He helps Paul. Tithicus and Onesimus are walking hand in hand. Tithicus is carrying something called the Book of Colossians in his hand. He's taking it to the Church of Colossians. You have that in your Bible. And Onesimus is carrying what we call the book of Philemon. It's a letter to Philemon. And here's the thing about what Onesimus is carrying. It is either, either his pardon, and he's going to be set free from what he did, and he's not going to have to pay it back, or it is his death sentence. He doesn't know, because as a slave who stole from his master, Philemon not only could have him put in jail for the that, he just got out of jail and be put in it. Philemon could have him executed. So Onesimus doesn't know whether this is pardon. Or if this is a death sentence. And Paul writes the letter like that. You read through, go, go, go spend some time and read through this in different translations, and you kind of see how Paul is sort of using, well, mother's guilt, father's guilt. Mothers are really good at guilt, aren't they? My mom was. Anytime I did something, my mom, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do that. She goes, oh, fine, fine, fine. You just, nothing's, nothing's worse than an Irish mother guilting Fine, fine, don't worry. I just had you 48, 50 hours of labor. And you were five, you were ten pounds, two ounces, and you were like, oh. Alright, I'll do it. Anyways. <laughs> Paul uses a little bit of guilt. So like we've done throughout this whole series, I'm gonna come down and talk to you. I got my glasses because the letters were shrinking. If you look at Philemon, the theme verse of Philemon is really verse eleven if you look at it. Paul says this too about Philemon about Onesimus, which in time past to be unprofitable. But now, profitable to thee and to me. It is the theme first because Paul says Onesimus was this punk teenage boy who was a problem. Everything you said black, he said white. You said up, he said down. You said it was a good day, he said it was bad. He was a thorn in your side. He was an obnoxious teenage boy. And then, to top up, he stole something. Maybe he stole your mom's vase or something, jewelry or something. Something irreplaceable. He stole it and pawned it so he could get high. He stole it and he did it so he could get drunk. He stole it so he could buy prostitutes and do all this wild living and stuff. He was worthless to you. But now, he is profitable to you. He is a good man. He will bless you. And by the way, the guy who led you to Christ is also profitable to me. <laughs> That is the theme verse. You want a theme verse for your life? If you have found yourself at times in an Onesimus, useless to your parents, useless to authority, you fought the law and the law won. The law always wins, people, right? You, you, you found yourself, but Jesus changed you, and now you are profitable to God. Now you are something. Now you are worth something. That's a great life verse, Philemon 11. You'll freak people out because they don't even know who Philemon is. How do you change that? What changed him? 
Well, we're going to look at four things, and we're going to break out a couple verses of here. Number one, if you're taking notes, what changed him? A new birth. Look at verse 7 and 16. Look what Paul says to him. You have great joy and consolation in thy love, because of the bowels of saints are refreshed by the brother. Now, he's not doing like a Hulk Hogan invitation, brother. He's not doing something like that, randomly calling you a or anything else like that. He's calling him a brother. He's talking to Philemon. You are my brother. We have a bond because we are in the family of Christ. In fact, you go to verse 16, he says pretty much the exact same thing again to him. Not, not now as a servant or a slave, but above a servant. Philemon is also a brother. You see, it's a new birth that changes everything. Let me... Anybody else hot? You put the heat on because the ladies always complain. Now I'm hot. Oh, I'm not going to fight you. Am I insane? Let's go back. I'll fight you. Take on you, but girls are crazy strokes. Um, let me explain something first. The new birth, what the gospel is. The gospel is this. You were born a sinner, separated from God. But in while you were yet a sinner, God loved you. And because he loved you so much, he sent Jesus to die on the cross. And if you, in childlike faith, will accept what Jesus did on the cross for you and come into your heart and be your Savior, you too can be forgiven and be part of the family of God. Yeah. Easter Sunday is just Jesus proving that third day, proving everything he said was right and that he was God. Do you understand this? Before I accepted Jesus as my personal Savior, I don't know a better way to say it. I was part of Satan's family. You could come up with some better theological terms, but Jesus looked at a bunch of religious people and said, you're your father and the devil. I was in Satan's family. I was an enemy of God. I was going to pay for my own sins, separated from God in a place Jesus called hell. I was destined there. That was my future. But when I had childlike faith, as Christ had come into my heart, begged him to forgive me, to be my savior, I became new. I was washed in the blood. I was in the family of God. I'm a completely different person. I have a new birth. I've been born again. Amen. There's nothing, listen, I'm not against AA, right? Or AAA, but I'm not against AA or, or therapy or, or 12-step programs. Those things are good. I don't want anybody to understand me saying that. Those things are good. I want to encourage you if you need that. But nothing will change your life. Nothing will change your character. Nothing will change who you are when you have a life-changing experience as Jesus as your personal Savior. I say that that's what scares me about many people who claim to be Christians and they can say, what happened? And I look at before and after, they don't look any different. They don't look like there's a change. Number two. Why do Have a new mentor. Look here at verse 10. <coughs> I beseech thee. Look, he says, for my son, Onesimus. This is just a subtle way Paul's like. This is... Onesimus just isn't a person. He's just not a guy. Man. He's just not somebody I led to Christ. He's my son, by the way. So if you're thinking of having him executed, he's my son. For my son, whom I have begotten in my mind. Um, there's a subtle but important difference between a mentor and a dad. Pastor Ken is a really good mentor. He's got the patience. He's got the... And this is what a mentor does, okay? You never sit in the front, that's a problem. Um, this is what a mentor, no, you could hurt me, come here George. <laughs> I can take George. I've beaten up many talents, why not I have no more. Anyways, this is what a mentor does, okay? Mentor comes along and goes, now why'd you do that? 
Do you think that was the best choice? Let's uh, look at what the results were. Now, if we rethink this process, what do you think would have happened if we did it this way? And I know you made a mistake, but I still love it. That's okay. That's what a mentor does. Esther Chan is really good at this. I'm not a mentor. I'm a father. And this is what a father does. What are you, stupid? What is wrong with you? What do you know better than that? We raised you better. It is true. There's a subtle difference there, isn't it? Both come from love. They're just more yelling in one than the other. Uh, right, Nate? There you go. Listen, when I say this to you, and I jokingly, who is your mentor? Who's your mentor? Um, I had the greatest mentor in the world, Pastor Don Gregory, just went home to beautiful Dr. Gregory. I mean, best pastor ever in America. Just amazing man. Taught me so much. I, I find myself, <coughs> if you ever see me do a funeral, I'm just imitating Pastor Gregory. I even find myself walking through a hospital sometimes, exactly like him. I've taken on so many of his characteristics. All right, who's your mentor? Now let me flip this on you. I'm saying, I've been saying for quite a while, who are you mentoring? What little problem child are you spending time with? What little high school girl who's just looking for somebody to love and you're trying to help her deal with the issues of life? Who are you mentoring today? You're going to change if somebody's future requires a mentor. You say, well, I just don't have any opportunity to do that. Well, I'm glad you asked that because Wednesday at 7 o'clock, there's a lot of little lovely children. But I want to encourage you to come in. Little, little lovely children who could use somebody, seriously. Could use somebody just like you. Amen. Number three, have a new mission. Look here at verse 13. When I would have retained when I would have retained him, retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. Paul says this, I would have loved to capture him. I mean, he was, he's just been such an encouragement. He's such a kind young man. He's got so many great things. I would have loved to capture him, but you know what? He needs to step out of where he's at, and he needs to have a new ministry, and his ministry needs to be towards you. The mission of Oakland West Baptist Church is, and will always be, about lifting up Jesus. Everything we do is an excuse to tell people about Jesus Christ. Everything. And then when we lift Jesus up, our goal then is to draw people to him, not lift up the pastor, not lift up the elders, not lift up the Sunday school teachers, not lift up a ministry, not even lift up Mr. George. Our goal is to lift up Jesus, and when we lift him up, is to tell them the good news of the gospel that they can be saved, and they can be forgiven, and they can be on their way to heaven. Our job, our mission is Jesus. Amen. Takes on a lot of different forms. Look at look at this. What, what are these little monsters did on Wednesday night? <laughs> they broke a light on the socket cover. Oh, you do. This is a holy socket cover. I mean, poor Pastor Steve. This is this soccer socket cover has been in our church since the beginning. My mother donated for that socket. If you look in the back, there's your name. This is a special light cover. How dare one of these little ruffians, and Bruce told me, uh, one of our kids broke something, and I'm like, oh, what? He told me what it is, and I said, can I guess? He goes, okay, and I guessed who it was. <laughs> and that kid, I'm going to tell you something about that kid. That kid's either going to be a, a convict or a preacher. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to tell which is which, but can I say something? And he broke the lights up cover. I'm going to tell you something. 
The mission of Oakland Woods is not to have nice lot light covers. It's not to build nice buildings or anything else like this. The mission of Oakland Woods is to lift up Jesus. And when you lift up Jesus sometimes, you draw people who need Jesus and they break light covers. You have to understand this. People we tell that Jesus loves. Amen? Amen. That's our mission. Number four is to have a new view of God's plan. Don't get old, young people. Verse 15. For perhaps he therefore declared. This is an amazing verse. This verse right here, before I read it, let me say it. You've ever had a tragedy happen in your life, and who really hasn't? And you've looked up to the sky and you've asked God, Why? I mean, God, you're loving and kind. Why did you take this person from me? Why did this happen? Why did this person get cancer? Why did that accident take place? Why did I have to file bankruptcy? Why did the why did this? I, God, why? Look what Paul says here about this, verse 15. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldst receive him forever. Paul says, maybe, maybe there was a reason he stole from you. Maybe there's a reason he put you through so much heartache and pain, so that God could bring him to me and I could tell him the gospel. I can't tell you the why every time. I have no idea sometimes the why. And I have many whys as you do. Many times I preach funerals and I go back to my office and I cry. I call out to God. This isn't fair, God. Why did this person die? There's 20 other people you could have killed. I couldn't even <coughs> name as God, right? I mean, there's other people that you could take away. <laughs> I can't tell you this side. Yeah, I'm just kidding. I can't tell you always the why. But I know God knows the why. One day in heaven we'll find out the why. Can I tell you though, another feel God's plans on the paper desk? Paul is in a prison cell. He's in some sort of jail. And that's where he met Onesimus. How many times could Paul have said, I'm in this dark thing, there's a rat just ran over my foot. You don't even want to know the bathroom situation. I'm in this prison, dark, ugly, smelly jail cell because I followed Jesus. I'm here because I preach Jesus. This jail cell is my reward for doing everything you asked me to do, God. I preached, I loved people, I turned the other cheek, I did miracles, and my reward is this jail cell. But listen, if it wasn't for the jail cell, Onesimus would have never gotten saved. Listen, there's some things going on in your life, and they feel like a jail cell. You did the right thing. You made the right choice. You've been serving God, and it's not been like the TV preachers. You're not rich and healthy and everything else, because that's a lie from the pit of hell. Talk to the Apostle Paul. You did everything right, and you find yourself in a jail cell. Could it possibly be that your jail cell is someone else's salvation? Amen. You want to change God's view of your life? Realize that God is in control. 
And even the jail cells have a purpose. But you know what Paul's purpose of his jail cell was? Other people. So, well, you know, Pastor Jones, it wasn't fair that this happened to me. It wasn't fair that my life was damaged and controlled and were destroyed by this event or this thing that took place. Some of you have really good reasons to be bitter. I'll just be honest with some of you have lost loved ones. Some of you have fathers. If, if, I, if I could, I'd beat them up for you. But they're not good men. Some of you have had mothers, and you've had people that have just let you down and disappointed you. But you understand something. Could it possibly be all the issues you struggled with is God's way of opening up ministry in your life? You know who ministers to divorce people the best? Divorce people. Do you know who ministers to widows the best? Widows. Do you know who ministers to people who've made difficult, maybe the wrong choice with the substance abuse and everything else? The people who've also made those choices. Could it possibly be that your jail cell is nothing more than your ministry that God has for you? Wow. That changes everything. Let me tell you what this message is now. I hope it's encouraging. I hope it's uplifting. But I want to give you two things as I close. But this is not. Go home and read the rest of the book of Philemon. It's a great letter. Number one. This is not the best and final you. The best and final you is where God puts you. The best and final you will eventually be home in heaven with him. But right now, though, it is easy to get discouraged. Me. I speak very highly of my home church. I speak very highly of my pastor. So don't misunderstand as I talk about this for a second. I wasn't supposed to be the one who was the preacher in our church. It wasn't me. When I went forward to dedicate my life to full-time ministry, most people thought I went forward to get saved. You laughed, but it was true. There was another guy. I won't say his name out of respect for his family. And he was, oh, Pastor Kid, oh, he's just going to be a great preacher. He's surrendered to be a missionary. He's going to be a pastor. He's, he's just going to, he got to preach when he was a teenager and stuff. And I had to be like 20 years old before I had to preach at First Baptist Washington. He was all, everything else. He died last year. Took his own life. His life was a shambles. He was an addict. He divorced his wife. He died an atheist, he said. Yet here I am. I talked with one of my best friends growing up. He won't mind it. His name is Johnny. Johnny was the most fun dude you've ever been around. But nobody rebelled against their parents more than Johnny. There was a drug he tried. If you were told him not to do it, he did it. And he was just the worst son ever. But I was talking to uh, our youth pastor who's a deacon in our church. He's about 70 now. I just talked to him. Johnny has like the last 10 years changed his life. Totally got clean, sober. He, he brings his elderly parents, picks them up every Sunday for church, brings them, opens the door and everything. And people are always like, you're so nice to your parents. And he always says, well, I'm trying to make up for all the garbage I put them through. I mean, it's like a miracle. And, and, and the guy I was talking with, our deacon and stuff, he was just going on about Johnny and Johnny. So I called Johnny and we were talking. I said, you know what's amazing? Is that he has a better view of you than he does of me. And he went, what? And I said, because he's seen you change. The last time he saw me, I was 18 years old. And Nate, I was a perfect saint, never did anything wrong. 
And I said, you know, that's really discouraging. And uh, my friend Johnny was like, yeah, don't worry about it. And he said, Jesus knows who you are. I was like, who are you? Who am I talking to? You know what? You can be discouraged because people think about certain things about you. Maybe they remember your past mistakes, right? Lord knows your ex-mother-in-law will forget. Lord knows all the people you hurt. Maybe they shouldn't. Maybe they, they don't forget. But you know what? Jesus knows who you are. Jesus knows who I am. You know what? I am who he thinks I am. See, this is not the final of the words. Number two. This is not the only future you can have. Your future can go off in different directions today. You could, this could be the day you get right with God. This could be the day you get serious about This could be the day you actually met Jesus. Tradition says this. It's just tradition. There's no biblical facts about it. But tradition says this. That not only did Onesimus come back and Philemon forgave him, that Onesimus in turn turned out to be the pastor of the church at Colossae. Now, if you had gotten a time machine and told teenage Onesimus, this is what you're going to be and this is what God's going to do, he would be completely shocked. If you got in a time machine and told, by the way, if I could get in a time machine and go back and talk to you about your future and your past, you'd be shocked too. So i got to say is every time you talk about time machine, the first thing you're supposed to say is if I had a time machine, first thing i do is kill him. Right? Right, Jim? First thing you got to because you're a horrible person if you don't go back and kill him. Here's my problem with killing Hitler. I'm just going to rant for a second. Which Hitler do you kill? Because teenage Hitler is pretty tough. And 20-year-old Hitler is a World War I veteran. That dude was tough. And 40-year-old Hitler survived bomb attacks. So basically, you've got to go back and kill baby Hitler. So i got to be a baby killer. And here's the thing, too. What if you kill baby Hitler, Adolf, and Mr. and Mrs. Hitler decide to have another child? They have Jimmy Hitler. And Jimmy Hitler's worse than Adolf, and they teach him not to invade Russia, and things are worse. So bad. So bad. If I had a time machine, I'd go back, and I wouldn't kill a baby, because that's what they do a baby killer. I'd go back, and I'd date Mrs. Hitler. And I would date her so she doesn't marry Mr. Hitler, and then he gets all depressed and goes off, and then she's expecting me to marry her, and I just meet her at the altar and never show up, and Hitler's never home. Alright, so, we did that. You're a time machine. Because then you're a baby killer. I'm not going to go back and kill a baby. Anyway. You know there's DUI driving up? This is PUI, preaching wild. Anyway. <laughs> seriously, if you get a time machine, and go back and tell Onesimus. If you got a time machine, go back and told me at 16 when I was struggling with God's call in my life, hey, this is what you're going to be. This is what's going to happen. This is what God's going to do with your life. I'd be like, that's insane. I can't even get up in front of a group of people. Look, if there's like five people, I'm quiet. I'm withdrawn. I'm like a, I don't like attention on me. I don't want to do anything. You mean I have to speak every Sunday, twice, and then on Wednesday? This is horrible. No. No, I love doing this, but, <clears throat> but seriously, I'd have been shocked. There's no way I would be able to do that. To end, I want to give you this one last thought. <coughs> you can't, God damn it. No matter what your future's going to do with God, you think, I can't do that. Good. You can't. God can't. There are no coincidences with God. Say amen. amen. I told this story once before, but tell it again about it. It fits. Uh, my wife and I, when I was pastoring in Livonia, um, one of the guys that we pastored, he owned the largest limousine company in the state of Michigan at the time. 
And so it was like one October, he's walking out, he's like, Pastor Steve, I'd like to do something for you and say Andrew and stuff. And so you pick a date and a time, and uh, I'll send my limo, and my limo will take you, you guys on a date, pick something. So I was okay, so I came back, so that's really cool. So I came back, I looked online, and it's like, okay, and I saw that, I mean, that was October, and I saw at the Palace of Auburn Hills in February, Bon Jovi was going to be playing. Now, my wife and I are children of the 80s, and all 80s girls think Bon Jovi, oh, he's so hot. You know, anyway. Anyway, yeah, amen. See, <laughs> so I told him the next time, he said, okay, I know what I want. It's February 7th at the Palace. It's the Bon Jovi concert. And he kind of went, I could see what was going on in his mind. He's like, my pastor wants to go to Bon Jovi. <laughs> Alright, sorry, he goes, fine. Alright. So that day that February shows up, the limo shows up, it seems like 20 people and everything. The kids get in, and they're like, where are we going? And I'm like, nowhere with you. Yeah. But anyway. So we get the limo and stuff, and we're driving from the time we're Westlake get on 75, we're going to the palace for the concert and stuff. And you know, you go on 75 to the palace, there's a big ramp, right? By the way, what an amazing concert. I mean, that was fine and everything, but it was really funny because he had been there like in 1986. He was at the palace in 1986. And it was amazing to see all the girls who were like 16, 17, 18, who were now like 40, 45, 46, 47, they were wearing the exact same thing he was there in 86. By the way, they shouldn't have been wearing it in 86, and they definitely shouldn't have been wearing it then. But it's all these old ladies, you know, 40-year-old ladies wearing stuff that they wore in 1986 and stuff. But we're, I look at the ramp, we're coming off the ramp, and I was talking to the driver, it turns out he was a Christian, I told him the, like, his boss and stuff, I pastored and stuff, so you know, we're having a nice little conversation and stuff. And I hear over the radio as we're coming around the curb on the ramp that one of their other limos had broken down, and he was like, man, what are we going to do? That's going to be some really bad people because the limo was broken down on the ramp. And I said, well, we're going real slow, you know, why don't you let them get in with us? He's like, really, you would do that? I'm like, yeah, I mean, this is free, I want them to have a good opinion of his boss, he's doing this for free, I don't want to be a jerk. And why not? Yeah, let him get in. Okay. So we pull around the ramp, he pulls over, and in gets. <laughs> no, <laughs> my wife would be my wife would be alive because her head would have exploded. <laughs> so in gets this like greasy, sleazy, 22, 23-year-old dude, okay? He's got like gold chains on, he's got two Budweisers in his hand, he smells like weed, he's got his hair all slicked back. He's just he's Hey, that guy, right? <laughs> he gets in, and then behind him is like this 42-year-old, nice-looking, uh, blonde lady, like attractive, attractive lady, and stuff, wearing like this really tight miniskirt and stuff. And she gets in with him and stuff. And we sit. So we got like 10, 15 minutes before we get to the door. So we talk. I go, what do you do? He starts telling me about his thing. And he, he, he set up uh, Indian casinos and stuff. He would be like an advanced man. He'd do all this stuff. He'd smooth people. He's telling me about his six figures and all this other stuff. Always be closing. Hey, you know, I'm just like, oh my gosh. I just hate you. Anyways, but no, man. But and okay, so he's telling me about all the stuff he does. Then it, it always comes back to that question I either love or dread. The question is, he goes to me is, well, what do you do? I mean, okay, he's holding two buds. He smells like he's trying to slam it before he gets in. He smells like me. He's got enough cologne on to knock out every person in this room and everything. You can tell what is going on in his mind when he expects this stuff to be. What do you do? And I said, without being in the, I just went. My job is to make sure that you're a complete failure and can't do your job. And I smiled. I said, I'm a Baptist preacher. And he was like, uh, you can tell he was like, you're a jerk. He wanted to throw one of the bottles in here or something. But it was amazing. The girl, 42-year-old lady, she's completely uninvolved with whatever girls do on her hands. She stops. The whole car changes the atmosphere. 
she looks up at me like, like a horror movie. She has this look on her face. She goes, what did you say? I said, yeah, I'm a Baptist pastor. Our wife's pastor's wife. We're just out here going our members. And she got this blank look. I mean, like, like she was looking off into the distance and everything. And there's like tears starting to come in her eyes. She goes, I grew up in White Lake. I said, yeah, I know that. I grew up in White Lake. And uh, when I was a little girl, there was a Baptist church that used to pick me up on their bus route. And they took me to this thing, George. They took me to this thing called Awana. She said, you ever heard of Awana? I'm like, I've heard of Awana. Awana? I grew up in Awana. She said, when I was a little girl, I got saved. I was baptized. I used to go to church in Awana. She said, somewhere around 17, my senior year in high school, I just kind of, I kind of got out. She says, I'm divorced now. I've got two little girls at home. And she's just like, she didn't say it, but she knows she was just like, this, this wasn't how life was supposed to end. And I just, okay, my wife was there, I reached over, I grabbed her hand, and I just said, it is not a coincidence that your limousine broke down, and another limousine picked you up, and inside that limousine is a Baptist preacher. God loves you. He's looking for you. He wants you back. At that moment, I kind of looked over at the guy. He could kill me <laughs> because he had this vision of what the night was going to be, and you could see it was just all over. <laughs> and she was like crying. She's like, "You're right. I need to get back in church. I need to take my daughters to church." And I she told me where she was at. Why? Like I said, I know of a couple churches here and there. I named a couple off. So I tried to Google. Just Google Baptist churches for showing up and, and stuff. Because it was too far. It was like an hour drive where we were at and stuff. She got out of the car, and I have no idea where she went. I told her, I said, it's not a coincidence that you're here. It's not a coincidence that this broke down. What are the odds? What are the odds that all would take place and that would happen? It's not a coincidence. It's God. <coughs> if you were here and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God loves you too much to let me run. So why don't you stop running like Onesimus and finally submit to God's plan? Why don't you finally get saved and accept Christ as your personal Savior? Why don't you just turn your life over to Jesus and say, my future is going to be whatever you want my future to be. Hey, Christian, why don't you get on the mission of reaching something else in the gospel? Why don't you get on the mission of reaching a boy and girl to Jesus? You sit here today and you feel like nobody loves me, nobody knows, nobody can care about not this plan. You feel like that? You want to change that way? Be the person who introduces somebody to Jesus because there's no one more special in your life than the person who introduces you to Jesus. You never forget that person because that's who the Apostle Paul is when finally Amen. Invest in somebody else's life. Invest in their life. Every head bowed and head closed. God brought you here for a reason. He got you out of bed. He got you here to hear me preach, to hear the worship part of this. He got you here to drink the coffee. He got you here in this room right now. So what are you going to do with it? If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, please don't leave this building without knowing Christ. And thank you. Thank you to come and know Jesus. If you're here and you're saved, is your future going to be what God's future has for you? There are people you're going to do your life on your own. You're going to decide where you go to school. You're going to decide your morals and ethics. You're going to decide what you do and what you take into your body. Who you do. You're going to decide it, or does God get to decide all these things? 
Would you do me another favor if you're here and you're a believer of hearing God's plan? Would you beg God to help Oakland Woods stay on task? Beg God that Oakland Woods would constantly be lifting up Jesus to reach people, to see these boys and girls get saved. We have a small window of opportunity right now, a small window to reach dozens and dozens of boys and girls. I don't want to squander it. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for being kind and gracious with me when I was young. Thank you, Lord, as a teenage boy. I ran from you, but you ran after me. Lord, thank you for taking care of Onesimus. Lord, I, I think that is amazing that he turned out to be your pastor. But even if he didn't, what a great testimony of your grace. Help us, Lord, if there's someone in here who feels like their life is going the wrong way, their life is just this train wreck, tell them to stop running from you today. Let today be the day they accept you. Let today be the day that Christian who's away from you just says, I want your plan, not mine. I don't want to do this anymore. And Father, help us to constantly lift you up. Help Oakland Woods to stay on task. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Would you stand with me? Hey, the band's going to play. As the band plays, would you help me give the invitation? Meaning this, if you need to know Christ, come to me down here. I'd love to show you how you can know Jesus. I never want you to leave without that chance. You're here and you're a believer, and you need to get back on God's plan. Come forward and use these. But every person here, would you please use this opportunity and ask God to keep Oakland Woods true to our mission. Give us the ability in the next few weeks, the next few months, this next coming year, to stay true to what we're supposed to be about, about reaching boys and girls, about doing something great this next year, because it's God's plan, not ours. Would you join me in prayer with them? Take it away.